Patchwork Heart Ministry and Fiat Ministry Network present the Discover Your Mission series. When I was young, in the 1950s, I attended Catholic Grammar School and I memorized the Baltimore Catechism. In fact, I think I got an A on all of my tests. Um, I faithfully attended Mass each week, not because I wanted to, but because I was afraid if I didn't, I would suffer eternal damnation. I followed all the rules. I followed my Catholic faith um, faithfully. But it wasn't until I became a wife and a mother and I began to try and pass my faith on to my children that I realized that everything I knew about Jesus was memorized doctrine. I can't even share with you how I was so wrote in my faith. And I was attending this, but I was not present. I was a good man, I was a good father, I was instilling the sacraments into my family. Uh, I was definitely not intentional, I was stuck broke in my faith. But what kind of strength did he have? Jackie did not just have a strength of body or baseball skill. He had a strength inside of his spirit, a courageous meekness that empowered him to play the game. And I tell him what is going on with me and he's like, oh, okay. And I'm like, no, no, no. I think this is like some sort of miracle, dude. And he's like, okay, you know, of course, but I'll believe it when I see it, honey. You've been trying to quit and you've been saying this and saying that. And I'm a, you know, he, his big line to me is you shouldn't say things <laughs> because I never followed through on them. And so this was week after week, month after month, he is looking at me like, this is a miracle. There is no way that you, on your own, could have done this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 through 21, St. Paul compares the sacrifice of the Christians to the sacrifice of Israel and then to the sacrifice of the pagans. Paul calls the chalice, the blood of Christ, and the bread as participation in the body of Christ, and then warns his listeners that you cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons at the same time. So in other words, you need to decide what are you going to participate in? Are you going to participate in the historic Christian idea of the altar of sacrifice which is in the Eucharist or not. Welcome to the Sewing Hope Podcast. This is a show all about implanting hope in our hearts. I'm Bill Snyder, joined by my friend Ann DeSantis. We're glad you're here for our uplifting conversation about faith and how it sustains our hearts through all the seasons of life. Thanks for walking with us. And good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Sewing Hope Podcast. I am Bill Snyder, and it's great to be with you no matter how you're listening to us on Facebook, YouTube, Podbean. Thank you so much for being here and tuning in to our ministry today and being a part of our mission to sow hope into broken hearts here at Patchwork Heart Ministry. So, uh, as always, I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Andy Santos, and so I'm going to bring her on here. Uh, welcome, Anne, uh, to the program, and thanks so much for uh, being here, as always. Hey, thank you, Bill. Good morning. Excited about this show. Yes, it is. It is a good morning, as always. Is, is it always sunny in Philadelphia today? Uh, pretty much. <laughs> September 1st, hey. <laughs> there you go. I know, it's September 1st. Headed toward fall. Hard to believe that. Well, hey, uh, tell us about who we have as a guest today. Yes, we have an amazing guest, and his name is Patrick Novakoski. He is a husband, a father author, speaker, Catholic publicist, and also the executive director of the Warrington Pregnancy Center in Warrington, Virginia. So welcome, Patrick. Good morning. 
Anne and and uh, I'm sorry. Bill, Anne, I'm Bill. good to be with you. And Bill, <laughs> very good. Yes. It's still early. It is. It is early today. That's that's so true. Yeah, <laughs> our show, especially coming off summer, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I can't believe it is September, but here we are. That's right. That's right. I love to read read your bio for those listening. Is uh, Patrick Novakoski. Patrick is one of America's most accomplished Catholic communicators. He's the author of 100 Ways John Paul II Changed the World and has won more than two dozen awards from the Catholic Press Association. He has edited and written for some of America's top publications and has been published in five languages. Patrick serves as the executive director of the Warrington Pregnancy Center in Warrington, Virginia. That's Warrington. He's the founder of Nova Media, a public relations firm specializing in the Catholic space. He's previously served as Legatus Magazine's editor-in-chief for 12 years. He's traveled to 26 countries, met Pope John Paul II five times, and made Pope Francis laugh out loud. But most importantly, he's a husband and a father of five beautiful children. I love that bio. Thank you, Anne. I wrote it myself, so it's got to be good, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, you have done so much, and I know that you're down. You're in Virginia, but previous to that, you were in uh, was it Florida? In Ave Maria, Florida, for 15 years, and uh, just six weeks ago, moved up to Northern Virginia for a brand new chapter in our lives, and we're very excited to be here. Hmm. So tell us your story. I mean, I know that Bill sometimes on his other program called Young Catholics Respond, I invite people to check that uh, podcast out sometime at Patchwork Heart Ministry is sometimes he will ask, tell us your faith journey. So, you know, we would love to hear. Wow. Okay. Um, I'll I'll make it brief because this could be uh, an all day conversation, but (laughs) Uh, I was born and raised in Saskatchewan, Canada. I'm the second of nine children. Um, we're, we're, uh, I, I come from a long line of illiterate farmers, and I'm <laughs> about the second generation to, uh, to kind of break that mold. My father had eight grades of education, and he raised nine kids, all in the Catholic faith, uh, on a small farm in Saskatchewan. He was a, a musician, a school bus driver, and um, farmer, school bus driver, and musician, those three things. And he had two goals in his life. One was to be married 50 years. And one, the other one was to raise a large family in the Catholic faith. And he accomplished both of those marvelously. Um, so uh, second of nine kids, um, the oldest son. And, uh, and so, gosh, where to go from there? Um, I, I, I guess I, I was always a curious kid. And, and, and I remember being... Um, 11th grade in in English class and uh, the teacher gave us an hour every week to read books and uh, I found books fascinating and I thought what an easy way to make a living you just sit down at a typewriter because that's what we had in the 80s and and you write a story and you get it published and you get rich and famous and so that's what I want to do. But then it occurred to me that I wasn't very creative and uh, I really couldn't write to save my life. So uh, I had to come up with an alternate plan. So being the curious kid, I, I thought, well, I'll, I'll become a journalist. And and then I set my sights on being a famous TV journalist or, or writing for Rolling Stone magazine because rock music was all I lived for back then. And... Um, so I gravitated toward print, uh, became the editor of our high school newspaper, and then moved into college and studied English and uh, majored in English and started writing in the entertainment section of the, the, the college newspaper and interviewed some of the biggest rock bands in Canada. So I was living the dream until my editor said, you know, if you want to write entertainment well, you need to start writing news. And I thought, well, that's what it takes to become a great Rolling Stone reporter, then I'm all for that. So I started writing news and found it far more compelling than writing entertainment. Because, um, you know, as I got older, I, I started to realize that I had a lot more going on upstairs than most of these rock musicians 
that I was interviewing and I wasn't learning anything from them. And every time I wrote a story that I learned something new, that was a good day for me. So I, I moved into news, I studied broadcast journalism, um, but my, my talent seemed to lie in print, in, in writing stories. So my first job out of college was for a Catholic, regional Catholic newspaper, and, and also at the same time being a publicist for an archdiocese. And, and that went very well, it went very, very well. Um, and then I started to get more excited about my faith. Um, uh, when I was in high school, John Paul II came to Canada for the first time. Um, and to date, he's the only pope to ever visit Canada. He came back for World Youth Day in 2002. Uh, was it was two, yeah, 2002. Um, but I, I had this, this profound dream of John Paul II visiting my house while he was in Canada. I was 16 years old. And that, that dream stuck with me. Um, but then as I grew into my, my late 20s, uh, I had the chance to go to Southern California to work for a Catholic magazine there called You Magazine. And it was Veritas before that. And, uh, and that was kind of my entree into the United States, into a, kind of a, a deeper dive into my faith. Found a great Catholic community in Southern California. And, uh, and then one day that I, I got a fax because that's how we communicated in the 90s. And uh, the facts is said that, that the National Shrine of Divine Mercy in Stockbridge and the Marian Helper Center was looking for an associate editor of their magazine called Marian Helper and, uh, and someone to do publicity for the shrine. I read the job description and it was like they had written it exactly for me. So, uh, so I applied uh, and, and honestly, I didn't apply wholeheartedly. I applied half-heartedly. And, and they hired me on the spot. Uh, they flew me out to Massachusetts for an interview and they'd been looking for six months, but I guess I was the guy that they were looking for. And uh, so moved from California to Massachusetts, worked for the Shrine for five years. And that was a great formation um, because, uh, well, I think the, the, biggest, the biggest thing that happened to me there started uh, two months into my tenure, when I won a trip to Cancun. Now, why that was important, um, I, 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 when I won the trip, I thought, I have no desire to go sit on a beach in Cancun by myself. I'd rather go to Rome. So I called the travel agent and I said, can I change my ticket to a, a trip to Rome? And they said, sure, why not? Absolutely, go for it. Um, so when my boss found out that I was going to Rome, he, he said, well, you might as well stay in Rome and do some work for us there and stay at our house. The, the, the Marian Fathers, the Marians of the Immaculate Conception, their general, generalate is in Rome, but they have, they have priests all through Eastern Europe. And John Paul, this, this is in 1997, by the way, um, John Paul II had said to the Marians, I want you to lead the re-evangelization of Eastern Europe. And, and no small task, of course. Um, but my job was writing for their, their magazine, the Marian Helper magazine, and telling the stories of these priests and brothers who had endured through the communist era and, and, and had persevered and, and continued to, to nurture the faith in countries like Lithuania, uh, Ukraine, Slovakia, Czech Republic, um, um, Poland. So uh, my travels took me through those countries. And along the way, uh, when, while I was in Rome, um, my boss also said to me, would you like to meet the Pope? And I said, well, yes. Do you need to ask <laughs> if there's a list? Just put me on that list. And they put me on the list. Uh, October 1st, 1997, I met John Paul II for the first time. Uh, the Marians had a very deep and long uh, connection with with Kara uh, Wojtyła even before he was John Paul II. Um, at the time, their superior general, um, Adam Bunietzky, had been a professor at the Catholic University of Lublin when John Paul Kara Wojtyła was, was a professor there as well. So they had these deep connections to, to John Paul II. And uh, so I was very blessed to be uh, part of a, a small group that got to go to mass in, in his private chapel and then greet him afterwards. I was also the the webmaster of Marian.org. So, um, so when I met him for the first time, I had printed out these pages from Marian.org about divine mercy and his encyclical Divas and Misericordia about divine mercy, and then Blessed Faustina, um, 
and and I presented it to him. I, I actually stood beside him for a full 60 seconds or so and explained what I was showing him. And and he listened to me and very humbling moment because here's the vicar of Christ, the, the man that I admired most in the world um, and, and, and probably the most influential Pope in a thousand years. And I'm standing beside him and I, I'm just a farm kid from Saskatchewan and he's listening to me. Uh, it, it was really overwhelming, but you know, interestingly, when, when he walked in the room after mass to greet us, that we, there were Polish seminarians were most of the group, but there are about 30 of us. Uh, all of my anxiety just left in, in that split second, he walked in the room and it was like, I was standing there talking to my father. It was that easy. Um, so, so that was the first, the first time I met John Paul II. And, uh, and so my stories for the Marian Helper magazine were very successful. They, a lot of people um, donated to the cause and helped the, the Marians in the, their novitiate in Poland and the, the education of their seminarians through Eastern Europe. And, and so they sent me back again the following year. And over the course of five years, I, I met John Paul II four times through the Marians. Uh, and th then I met my wife. Uh, she was teaching at a small school in Ann Arbor. And um, I remember one time, it was probably in 98 or so, when I saw John Paul II in Rome. And during his weekly Wednesday audience, he would bless the sick people who, who would come to his audience. They'd come individually after the audience and come past him and he would bless them, followed by this whole flock of newlyweds, the Sposi Novelli, they say in Italian. And, uh, and he would bless each of each of the couples as well. And I remember thinking to myself, I want that, that I desire that if I ever meet her, the one, then I would love to come back to Rome and get blessed by John Paul II. And um, so when I met Michelle, she had a few friends that had gotten married and, and found found the love of their lives and gone to Rome for their honeymoon. And she also knew that I had met John Paul II. So before I could even bring it up, she said to me one day, wouldn't it be great if we got married and went to Rome and got blessed by the Pope? And I said, yes, yes, it would. <laughs> yes, it would. And indeed we did. So 11 days after we got married, it was April 17th, 2002. We, we knelt in front of John Paul II and he blessed us. And that was the last time I saw him. Um, and, and three years later, he died. So wow. profound, profound effect on my life. And, uh, and, and then I know you're going to ask this, so I'll just lead into it because this is the perfect entree. Um, about a year and a half ago, I realized that his 100th birthday was coming up in May of 2020. So I had been giving a talk for, gosh, probably three years on John Paul II, how I met him, his influence on the world. And I had put together this top 10 list, like a David Letterman style list of the top 10 ways John Paul II changed the world. And, um, and I thought, well, this would make a neat book, my story of meeting the Pope and his influence on the world. But when I pitched it to Catholic um, publishers, they, they were like, you know, your, your story is very interesting, but I'm not sure it's going to sell a lot of books. But th then a year and a half ago, I realized his, his birthday is coming up. And, and I thought, well, let's put together a, a 100 ways he changed the world to celebrate his 100th birthday. And our Sunday visitor was, was gracious enough to publish it. And uh, the Kindle version is out now. And the, um, the paperback version is coming out exactly one week, one month from today, October 1st. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> that's so that's awesome. my story. I, I was waiting for you guys to jump in. I no. just kept going. I hope that's no, okay. Riveted. No, no. Totally I, I mean, it, it, it's so great to hear. I love your story. And, you know, your story's not over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not it's, over. It's, not it's at all. It's continuing to, to, to uh, develop, right? It, absolutely. And, and I know especially right now because you are now the, the executive director for the Warrington Pregnancy Center. Right. Too, which is a, a very a new and big thing in your life, too. It is. It Love is. Love to hear yeah. about it. Yeah, my pro-life conviction started very early in my life. I mean, as I mentioned, I'm the second of nine children. And um, as I was growing up, I saw my mother's belly get bigger and bigger. And then she had a sibling for me. And then it got bigger and bigger. And she had another sibling for me. And then it got bigger and bigger. <laughs> and extra big. And she had twins, two siblings for me. So... 
uh, I knew where babies came from. Babies came from mothers. They came from mothers' bellies because they would just get big and, and there'd be a baby and it would be a, a brother or a sister. And, and, um, and that was the meaning of life, right? <laughs> mothers having <laughs> children. And, and so I remember when I was about 14 or 15 years old, I was about 15, I think, and when I learned what abortion was. And, and I was horrified by it because I knew that when my mother's belly got big, there was a person in there. And, and it was being nurtured by her and she was joyful and, and, um, and that this was, you know, someone that I would meet in nine months. And so I, I, I was, I was, I wouldn't say I was devastated, but I was, I was really horrified that, that it was a real thing. And at the time I was an avid cyclist. I'm an avid runner now, but I was an avid cyclist and, um, in 1984, there was a young man named Terry Fox that inspired Canada uh, from coast to coast. He, he had cancer. He lost a leg to cancer. He was 18 years old, and he made it his mission to run across Canada on his one good leg and his prosthetic leg to raise money and awareness for cancer and cancer research. And um, he made it halfway across Canada before the cancer came back. And, and he ultimately died, I think it was in June of 1984. But to this day, in dozens and dozens of countries across the, around the world, there are Terry Fox runs for cancer research. So I had this in my head that I would ride my bike 5,000 miles across Canada and, and raise money for the unborn and for, for uh, awareness of abortion so that, that it would become unthinkable. And uh, unfortunately, my parents vetoed the idea. I had it all planned out. As a matter of fact, I, I went to our local um, pro-life rep. She was just a volunteer, and I was this 15-year-old kid, and I had coffee with her, uh, and I told her my plan, and my legs were absolutely shaking under the table, and <laughs> I couldn't stop them. It was the first time I was ever nervous in my whole life. Um, and I rolled out the plan and she said to me, well, have you told your parents? What do they think about it? And I said, no, I haven't told my parents yet. <laughs> well, you probably should. <laughs> so uh, my parents vetoed the idea, but uh, the passion for the unborn has never left me. It's always been um, a burning desire to do something for, for the unborn, to, um, to, to instill a love of life in, in, in the culture and so about three years ago, I applied for a job with um, a Catholic pregnancy center called JMJ Pregnancy Center in Orlando. And um, they, they, they were on the verge of hiring, but the salary was lower than what I was able to, to accept. So they asked me to be on their board. So I've been on the board of JMJ for, for about three years, and I've really learned a lot about the pro-life movement, um, about running a pregnancy center. And, and so when I had the chance to apply for this job here in Warrington, uh, I, I think I was what they were looking for because I, I really understood the pro-life movement. And, and working for Legatus, I got to know all the, the, the main players in, in the pro-life movement. Uh, I, I'm friends with Abby Johnson and Kristen Hawkins and Jason Jones. And I've met David Delighton several times. And um, so that, that also was kind of a feather in my cap. And so now I'm actually on the front lines of the pro-life movement uh, every day. And, and it's, 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 I think it's just God's next step for me to, uh, to work in the vineyard. And uh, I like to quote Mother Teresa, who always used to say, I'm a small pencil in the hand of God writing a love letter to the world. I just want to be that, that instrument for God to use for, for whatever he wants to use me for where he thinks I can best serve. Well, that's incredible. I love your story. As I said, I, I can feel the, the Holy Spirit just looking at you here on Zoom because we're on video, even though this is a podcast and audio, but we can see the excitement in, in your face uh, just going through your story, which is so great because God has led you to where you are right now and doing all these different things. You know, you're, you're keeping busy in addition to being a husband and a dad, and I'm sure that that's a joy too. Talk about that too, your kids, and we'd love to hear. Yeah, yeah. So, um, goodness. Well, my first two children were born when we were still living in Michigan. Um, I met my wife. She was working for Spirit of Sanctus Academy in Ann Arbor, Michigan. 
with uh, Mother Assumpta and her sisters, um, and and she was teaching kindergarten, and I could I could tell by the way she ran her class that she had this this joy with children, just a love of 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 children, and um, she would she would lead them around the classroom and they would follow her like she's the mother hen, and it was so cute. So. When we got married, the, the, the first thing that we, we, we were, well, we actually wanted to wait for a while to, to finish the school year and then start our family. And then uh, I remember one day we were, we, we got married at Christ the King Parish in Ann Arbor and, and they were doing the, the youth ministry, the, sorry, the children's ministry and these little kids would be led out to, to have their own little special um, liturgy for children. And they were so joyful. And I said, I, I remember looking at her and saying, what are we waiting for? Let's just start a family and let God do whatever he's going to do. Um, of course, we were practicing natural family planning, uh, but we, we just decided to, to, you know, let God do what he's going to do. We, we were naive enough to think that when we wanted to start a family, then it was just going to happen. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not all up to us. That's one of the things I learned real quick. But our first son was born 17 years ago. And uh, he's he's his name is Jonathan. He's now a, college, a high school graduate. He graduated a year early, and he's starting uh, online classes. Matter of fact, yesterday I think he started his first class. He's going into cybersecurity. So oh my goodness! Awesome. Yeah, yeah. And and that we're now that we're in the DC metro area, the jobs for him are just uh, they're they're very available. So yeah. we're excited for him. He's. Um, I'm six foot two and he, he outgrew me a few years ago. He's on his way to six and a half feet tall and, um, and quite, quite the, the wonder child. So um, my daughter was, Jenna was born two years later. Uh, she is, she has her mother's joy for, for small children. And I think she's probably going to look at education as a, as a career. Um, she was, when we lived in Ave Maria, she was the number one babysitter. She had, was, in high demand because she just loved small children. Um, and she's an, like me, she's an avid runner. So she's joined the cross country team. Um, she hasn't run marathons yet like I have, but I think that's in her future as well. So um, my son, Steven was born in, uh, in Florida and he's, he just turned 13. Uh, he's type one diabetic, which is another interesting part of our story. Uh, six years ago, he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and, and that's been quite a journey. So uh, the last two marathons I ran were in New York City. I ran the New York City Marathon in uh, 2018 and 2019, and I raised money for diabetes research um, because I really think that there's, there's great potential for a cure or at least um, some better ways of, of helping particularly young people deal with type 1 diabetes. So my youngest two, Peter and Daniel, are eight and six, respectively. And uh, they are, um, they're two peas in a pod. We're, we're so, so happy that God blessed us with those two little ones. And um, they've really been, been a great blessing to us. So awesome. Yeah, it really is. Thank you. Say hi to your family, too. Yeah, I sure will. I'm sure, sure will. that at some point um, they're going to listen. Yeah, my <laughs> wife is back teaching. She's teaching at St. John the Evangelist School, which oh, nice. is just a mile from the pregnancy center where, I, where I'm working. Mm. And uh, so we, we've really been blessed to, uh, to find, uh, put down roots pretty quickly here in Northern Virginia. You know, I'd love for you to tell us more about the pregnancy center. You know, we're in a culture right now. John Paul II called it what? culture of death, right? I mean, right. when we pray to God that it can be more of a culture of life, especially right now in our current time. Wondered if you could speak about that, because there's some people who are kind of on the borderline between really accepting that pro-life position and maybe make some excuses as to why mm. uh, it's okay to just kind of dismiss it. I yeah, wondered if you had yeah. anything to say about that. Well, yeah, I absolutely have a lot to say about that. Uh, I think the tide is turning toward pro-life, uh, toward the pro-life position and the, the, the understanding of, of the pro-life position. Unfortunately, the mass media, the, the news media is, is not in our camp. And I think if the news media would just tell the truth about when human life begins and the sanctity of human life, that the battle would be over. 
Um, and, it, and it's it's getting there. Uh, thankfully, we have a, a president and a, and a vice president who are fully pro-life and are not afraid to to speak the truths about when human life begins and the sanctity of human life, the value and the God-given right of every unborn life to be born. Uh, and that's incredibly valuable. It's incredibly powerful in, in, in helping move the culture toward understanding that that from conception, a brand new human life is 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 in existence with, with a soul endowed by God that that will continue on eternally, um, and 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 has you know even based on our constitution has a God given right to be born. So um, so I think the tide is turning. Uh, the the Warrington Pregnancy Center is is just three years old, um, and and I'll direct people to our URL. It's wpc.life. Uh, I didn't know until a couple of months ago that a dot life was actually a thing, but we're kind of an early adopter of that. <laughs> People can type out warrantonpregnancycenter.org, which is really long, and and uh, or you can go to wpc.life, and 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 it takes you right to our our website. So um, three years old. As a matter of fact, September eighth is our third anniversary of of our founding. And um, Warrington is a, is a relatively small town in Northern Virginia. We're, we're um, in Falkier County, just on the border of uh, Prince William County near Manassas and Gainesville, um, about an hour outside of Washington, D.C., from D.C. straight, pretty much straight west. So um, small, very conservative, very Catholic community um, with, with, matter of fact, great um, interdenominational support for our center. Um, we, we provide ultrasounds, free ultrasounds, everything, all of our services are free, ultrasounds, uh, pregnancy tests, counseling, material support, and I really, uh, my desire is to grow the, uh, the offerings that we have here um, for, um, for um, STI testing and just being open more often and serving the community uh, six days a week at least. Um, and, I, and I hope to accomplish that within the next year or so. Right now we're open for appointments um, five days a week and open for walk-ins two days a week. So, um, so that, uh, and by the way, I, I was talking about how the tide is turning. Um, Abby Johnson spoke at the Republican National Convention um, last week. Was it earlier this week? No, it's Tuesday today. Last week. And I saw this amazing tweet from a lifelong pro-abortion person, a woman who had had an abortion. She said she just didn't get the pro-life uh, mentality until she heard Abby speak and tell of her experience and her experience of the ultrasound and, and ultrasound guided abortion, where she saw this life just literally being sucked away. Um, well, this person is now fully pro-life and on a new journey, on a new path. And I think Abby's witness um, to to people in the pregnancy in, in the abortion industry is, is very powerful, and I think that is one of the main drivers in in changing the culture is reaching people who who just don't get the pro life message, who don't understand that each life begins at conception, and um, and like Abby saw, I mean, she she saw this life literally being sucked away. If people could see that, they could see the reality and the truth of abortion. And it doesn't have to be graphic, but just to picture it in their minds that this unborn child in the womb is is actually alive and it's human, and and it's not a potential life; it is a life. Um, each of us is on a life journey. You you mentioned it in when when I was telling my story that my journey is not over, but my journey began. Uh, 53 years ago in my mother's womb and and it continues until uh, until the day i'm i'm put to rest so um I, I think just understanding that whole life concept is so important it really is and what about with the younger people that you come in contact or the people that you work with are coming in contact with i just wondered if that there's a message that you think that they need to hear especially like high school, college age. I mean, of course, we all know the three of us here are theology of the body. Uh, right. John Paul II is such a, a, a wonderful resource, but for some, they, they just don't know about it. Sure, so yeah, I most, wondered if you had anything to say there too. Yeah, most, most women who choose abortion choose it because they think it's their only choice. 
but we need to pre present a viable um, option for them so that they can na naturally a, a woman who's pregnant wants to care and nurture her for, for her child. It's against nature for her to take that life away, um, whether she has an education of, of that life or not. It's just part of nature that she would want to carry it, the, the child to term and nurture it. But when people are scared, when people feel like they have no other option, then, uh, then they contemplate that option because the culture is telling them it's okay. So we need to change the culture and present a viable option of caring for the woman uh, and, and helping her carry the child to term, but helping her beyond just carrying the child to term. If we care for the woman and her mental health, her spiritual health, her physical health, and, and, we, and she's assured that the community will be behind her beyond just giving birth to the child, then she's going to choose life. Nine times out of 10, she'll choose life. And maybe even more than nine times out of 10. Yeah. So carrying that message to high school girls, to college girls, to, to girls in, in, uh, in situations where they have no family support for life, uh, if they know we're here for them, I'm, I'm convinced that most of them will choose life. Yeah, I, I really agree with you, Patrick. And I think that, um, you know, it is about the education, it is about providing, right? And, and, and that's the beautiful thing at a pregnancy center, all the different things that you provide and provide for free uh, to, to women, uh, ultrasounds and things like that are, you know, and, and, and pregnancy tests and all these different services that you provide at a pregnancy center uh, really help them uh, to, to, to guide and make that choice for life. Mm -hmm. uh, because... Because they have the support, you know, uh, and, and and I think that we just have to be able to uh, support young women, as you said, support them and help them along this, uh, you know, journey while they're pregnant, uh, so that, um, so that uh, you know they can um, bring into the world and and be a mother, as you said, it's like their nature. This is their nature, and it goes against every, you know, thing in their in their nature to say, "Oh, I'm just going to get rid of this." No, 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 uh, and 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 the circumstances that are surrounding that, you know, whatever they may be, uh, are are not ours to judge. They're not ours to judge. They're ours to just say, "Okay, we accept you right where you are, and we accept this baby right where they are, and and they are in your belly." Um, yeah. and, and we are going to support you in this. And I think that if, uh, men also, uh, step up, you would see this disappear. You would see this disappear. Sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. A couple, couple of things. Uh, there are now twice as many, uh, um, pregnancy centers as abortion clinics in the United States. And the number of pregnancy centers like ours is continuing to grow every year where the number of abortion clinics in the United States continues to, to decline. So that's another measure of, of the, the advancement of the culture of life, particularly here in the United States. Um, and the other, the other aspect that, that you mentioned is men stepping up. I fully believe that if, if fathers would step up to the plate and take responsibility for the children that they help create, that, that abortion would go away. There, there would be no need for it. When women are pregnant and they feel abandoned and alone, uh, that's when they contemplate abortion. But if they have a man standing beside them, uh, assuring them that they're going to help raise that child, then again, more than nine times out of 10, the woman will choose life. Um, and one of the, the programs that we're just getting underway here at the Warrington Pregnancy Center is um, that type of program for men to kind of nurture them and help them to understand the, the beauty of fatherhood and the yeah. importance of fatherhood so that they can stand by their, their, their spouse or, or, or um, their, their partner and help uh, nurture that child and bring it um, not only just bring it to term, but to raise the child in a, in a beautiful family. Yeah. And, you know, I, I uh, commend you for that. I see it on the website. You know, I was looking at that earlier on the Warrington Pregnancy website uh, where uh, you, you actually have a tab for men. It's right there. Like yeah. there it is for men. Oh, so you, know, you, don't even, That's good. you don't even have to, um, you know, look very, look very far. It's right there on the website. Uh, men who are looking for resources, uh, it doesn't really matter where you live. I mean, just men are looking for resources, you know, 
head over to that uh, the Warrants and Pregnancy uh, Center.org website, uh, which or you can, as Patrick said, just do WPC.life, which is a totally awesome uh, <laughs> extension now. That's awesome that you got uh, .life. So, um, but no, I, I really think uh, thank you so much for your witness because you know there's so many people out there uh, on Facebook and and Twitter, YouTube, listening uh, to to this um, you know uh, show. And what's what's amazing is you know I always know the Holy Spirit makes those divine appointments with, um, you know, people who need to hear the message, um, you know, of the day or whatever we're talking about. So uh, if there's somebody out there struggling with this right now, especially, you know, maybe even talk about it in light of what's going on with COVID too, because there's probably some pressures um, during this time of COVID to, you know, well, I can't afford it, I can't do it, you know, like there's just so much going on in our society right now with this that there could be added pressure. Have you seen any of that? Yeah, I think there are a lot of people that are scared. Um, I, for one, refuse to live in fear. Um, I'm, I'm not afraid of COVID. If, if I get hit with COVID, then, then of course, I'll deal with it by God's grace. But um, I, I'm not going to, you know, conduct my life living in fear. But a lot of people do. A lot of people are uncertain of the future. Uh, they perhaps don't have a very strong faith or, or they have a compromised immune system or an existing condition. Uh, but uh, there, there, since there is this, this fear in the culture right now, we have to help deal with that. And, and there are a lot of women who, who have become pregnant. And matter of fact, part of our demographic are women in their 40s who already have a family. And because they're at home a lot more, they have conceived a child uh, and, and, and are married. And they just don't want to have family 2.0. And so they're, they're contemplating abortion. And the culture is telling them it's okay that, you know, your, your, your children don't need another sibling. Um, you can just solve the problem. Mm. We're here to stand against that culture and tell them, don't be afraid to expand your family. Don't be ex- afraid to give your children mm. another sibling. Even in this age of COVID, it's, it's, it's okay. There is a community around you that will support you. And, uh, and we need to continue to bring this message of life to, to, women and, and to men and to to the broader culture to let them know that that life is beautiful and it's a, and every as president trump says regularly every child is a, is a gift from god yeah. amen amen you know i love the work that you're doing because it truly is person to person and i think that's where evangelization really happens is yeah, when it absolutely. is one to one so it's beautiful work that you're doing uh and so tell us a little bit more, if you could, about the surrounding communities there and who you serve, because I know it's in Warrington, Virginia. So which areas are you serving uh, for that pregnancy center? Sure. Um, I am, I'm brand new here. I've, I've only been in Northern Virginia for six weeks, so I'm, I'm mm-hmm. still getting the lay of the land. But we're serving um, Culpeper County, uh, Warrington, uh, Warrington, which is in Falkier County, um, a part of Prince William County. And I, and I think there are a couple of other surrounding counties and I'm leaving some out, but um, everywhere from Front Royal to Manassas to Culpeper to um, Centerville, this whole area uh, we draw from, particularly from the greater Warrenton area though. I, I, I believe Warrenton's about um, 50,000 people that live here. Um, so it's a sizable community. It's a very old community. Um, my outreach is, is to, to pastors, to business leaders, to other influencers in, in the town, just to let them know that I'm here. Uh, I'm putting a great focus on awareness building so that I, I really believe that if people in the county know where we are, what we do, and, and how we serve the community, that, that everything else will take care of itself, that um, women will get referred to us. Uh, and, and donors will support us because they want to, to, to support a, a pro-life um, culture in, in this town. Like I said, it's, it's a very, very faith-filled community with, with lots of churches, active churches, and, and very conservative culture politically as well, which, which really helps to uh, nurture the organization and, uh, and build a vibrant community. Uh, that's awesome. 
I, w- I just want to make a shout out to the people in your communities to get in touch with you. I'm sure that you need some volunteers maybe too, right? That's I mean- probably our greatest need right now. Mm-hmm. We're open two days a week for walk-ins. And, uh, you know, w- there, there are two, two main groups of volunteers. One is the, the advocates. These are typically women who will greet women who are coming in who are abortion-minded or even if they're not abortion-minded who are here because they have a need. And the advocates will sit with them. They'll they'll hear their story. They'll find out what their needs are, what their concerns are. They'll, they'll guide them through the process where they get an ultrasound and, and pregnancy test. And then we have our nurses. We have two, two RNs and one LPN who are, are doing our ultrasounds for us. And, uh, you know, that, that's all, all supervised. We have a, um, a medical director, a doctor, a local doctor that helps us to, um, to analyze those um, ultrasound images. And um, so, but we really need more advocates. We need more volunteers to, to, to be here more often so that we could take walk-ins five, six days a week and, and accompany women to help them to make the best choices for themselves and for their children and their families. A company, such a great word. And that's exactly what we're called to do. I think right now with our faith and helping people who are really marginalized or, or who, who need that outreach from us and to know that we care. So thank you. Thank you for doing the work that you're doing and to the people of Warrington pregnancy center. Is there anything that people who are not inside your area, that they can do. I mean, obviously we know they can give, right. They can help by donating, but is there anything else that they can do? Because we get people who listen from all over the place and they might want to check out that website and do something uh, to help in some way to spread awareness. We we have another site for our, our partners. It's called WPCpartners.org. And that's our donor site um, for people that want to get involved. Um, if, if people that are not, not in the area, if they want to donate financially, we'd be grateful. Uh, we'd be grateful for their prayers. Um, but, but most of all, I'd encourage them to get involved with their local pregnancy centers because uh, ultimately every pregnancy center thrives when its local community is behind it. Um, I, I once said years and years ago that if every Christian church would adopt a pregnancy center, and find the pregnancy center, say, what do you need? Who do you need? How can we help you? That, that it, would, um, mm. it, it would change the culture completely. That's a great idea. So every Catholic church, every Protestant church, every evangelical church, find your pregnancy center in your community. And if there isn't one, get one going. We did here in Warrington three years ago, and it's, it's thriving because of church support. And if it's just the churches supporting the pregnancy centers, it will thrive and it will change the culture of your community and, and you'll be forever grateful. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I'm thinking to myself that of course we have church goers and then a great portion of people who are, you know, non-religious and non-church goers. And I wondered if you had any experience there too, because sometimes those people who are outside of some kind of faith, when they see that people of faith care, they're taking those steps to care and educate that, you know, that makes a difference for them to start to believe in God and the higher sure. power and, and that's how celebrating that's how, religion. That's how Christianity uh, conquered the Roman empire because yeah. they stood out. They were different. The, the early Christians loved one another in, in a selfless and generous way. Um, abortion wasn't a thing in the Roman empire, but there were unwanted children the Romans would take them and put them out in a field or on a fence and just leave them there to die. The Christians would take those children as their own into their community and raise them. And the Romans were perplexed by this. Why are these Christians doing this? They're so weird and so different. And and and, and for a while, they weren't persecuted until they just became this, this pain in the neck of, of the emperors and, uh, and became persecuted. But Ultimately, the Roman Empire fell because of its own decadence, but also because the, the, the Christian community really stood out as being distinct in how it lived, how they lived their lives. And we need to be that leaven for the culture today by being distinctively different in how we love one another, how we care for one another, how we speak to one another. And, and, and pregnancy centers are a big part of that. Mm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for addressing that, because that that, that did occur to me uh, 
it's wonderful to hear that you have connected with all of these different faith and church communities, and you know, it's going to have an impact on those who are away from some kind of faith, or maybe they never even had any experience of uh, God or church. Well, we know they have had experiences of God, but just don't recognize it. Exactly. Yeah. So, hey, is anything else going on with your other media work or, or your writing? Because I know that you're doing so much with the Pregnancy Center, but you still have those beautiful websites. And again, I'll just repeat them at catholicpublicist.com and patricknovakoski.com as your author, speaker, and publicist. Sure. Yeah. And if people can't spell my last name, they could go by go to booksbypatrick.com. And that'll take you to my speaker site, my, my author site. Um, uh, yeah, so I, a couple of, of clients I'm working with. I'm working with this uh, client in, in um, out west, modjuswomen.com, uh, .org, Modjus Women. Modjus Center was formed by Father Spitzer, and there's a group called Modjus Women that do retreats for women. They provide resources for women and women's groups to help them uh, go deeper into their faith. We're working on a beautiful new website for them that will be launching hopefully within a week. It's, it's almost done, and I'm very excited for them, um, and, and hopefully more, more programs for them beyond that. I'm also working with Dr. Hilgers, who is a pioneer in NAPRO technology, interestingly also pro-life. He, uh, his technology has helped women who are infertile to conceive naturally, and he's written a new book called The Fake and Deceptive Science Behind Roe v. Wade, and that book is coming out this week. So I'm, I'm doing some work for him, helping him to, to get some more publicity behind his book. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah we'll I, have to keep an eye on that one. That sounds yeah. I'd love like to have him uh, on your show. He's, we'd he's love a fascinating to have him. man. Please we'd love do. To have we love to host pro-life uh, authors and speakers. We've done it quite a bit. So just reach out to us. Yeah. I'd love to have him you on. Got it. Mm-hmm. You have my email. <laughs> yeah. And so, so great. So great. Would you have any other words of advice? Maybe there's someone listening who is interested in doing kind of some of the work that you've done, whether it be author, speaker, uh, you learn so much along the way. Maybe there's a younger person thinking, wow, I admire his work. How would I get involved in some of the things that he does? Well, my advice to anyone is to pray to that God would use you for whatever purpose he's created you for. Um, I quoted Mother Teresa earlier, and I'll say it again. She said, I'm a small pencil in the hand of God writing a love letter to the world. She recognized great humility in that statement. She recognized that she wasn't the one doing the great work. God was doing it. She just allowed him to move her. She felt like she was just an instrument. And, and the work is being done by God, but she's docile to God. She's docile to the Holy Spirit. She's open to whatever God had for her. She was willing to step out in faith and do it. So everybody's walk is different. And and I think what we need to do is just have that, you know, the attitude of St. John the Evangelist, he must increase, I must decrease. We make ourselves small so that God can do great things for us. You can also quote Mother Angelica. Sometimes you have to do the foolish to to, to do, uh, how, you guys know this quote, right? Sometimes <laughs> yes. you have to do the ridiculous no, you to experience the miraculous. <laughs> Some, you go for it. You, you have to do the ridiculous to experience the miraculous. That's it. That's it. Um, <laughs> so that's just my advice. Um, you know, just pray that God would use you, that you would be an instrument in his hand, and, and you'll see miracles happen every day. I certainly do. Yeah, Patrick, thank you so much for all your time. And uh, I, I know you're one busy guy, so really appreciate uh, your time and your, uh, and, and your wisdom. You shared a lot of wisdom with us today and a lot of wisdom with our listeners, so thank you. It's been fun. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Come back again. This yeah, is great. I'd like to have you back for sure. I learned so much. Okay. I'm excited about all the great things happening in your life and encourage people to reach out to you, especially those people who are from your area near the Warrington Pregnancy Center, please do uh, check it out, spread the word and help support them if you don't live in the area. Repeat that website again, just in case. Yeah, sure. Uh, WPC.life for Mm -hmm. the Warrington Pregnancy Center for our donation site, our partner site, it's WPCpartners.org. And then my websites, catholicpublicist.com and booksbypatrick.com. 
Awesome. awesome. Thank you stuff. so much. God bless you, Patrick. Yeah, Thanks, well, guys. Absolutely. Well, folks, uh, before we let you go and, uh, and, and leave you, I want to uh, remind you of one resource that's available on the Patchwork Heart Ministry website for uh, free. If you go over to our Patchwork Heart Ministry site, you're going to be able to get the Fearless Rosary, the Fearless Scriptural Rosary. It's where we took uh, many of the passages that say, Be not afraid and fear not from the Bible and paired them with the uh, Hail Mary and the Rosary. So you're going to be able to pray that rosary uh, with us. All you have to do is go over to our website, patchworkheart.org. You won't even have to navigate to a page. It pops up right on the screen for you. Enter your email and uh, you'll be able to download uh, the free PDF of this rosary and, uh, of course, get on our mailing list for all the other uh, you know shows and podcasts that we produce as well. So please head over to our website and do that because we know there's a lot of fear out there. Uh, even Patrick touched on it a little bit today. Uh, a lot of fear out there in the world and we've got to combat that and you know the Bible and, and, and God's Word uh, really reminds us constantly. I believe there's 365 times that uh, God says, be not afraid uh, in some way, shape, or form in the Bible. Uh, so re, uh, just remind you that you can overcome the fear uh, of these uh, you know, current times that we're living in. But uh, again, big thank you to Patrick and to Anne, as always, uh, for, for being a part of our show each and every uh, week here. So thank you so much for joining us today, and we just ask you to continue to support us. Email us, uh, sewing, uh, sewing hope at patchworkheart.org, and uh, find out more about our ministry, patchworkheart.org and asantis.com. We really appreciate everybody, and until next time, keep beating to your Catholic hearts and sowing hope into broken hearts. I'm Bill Snyder. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sewing Hope on Patchwork Heart Radio. For more information about this podcast and our ministries, visit our websites, patchworkheart.org and andesantis.com. You can also follow and interact with us on Twitter at PWH Ministry or andesantis2. Patchwork Heart Ministry and Fiat Ministry Network present the Discover Your Mission series. When I was young, in the 1950s, I attended Catholic Grammar School and I memorized the Baltimore Catechism. In fact, I think I got an A on all of my tests. Um, I faithfully attended Mass each week, not because I wanted to, but because I was afraid if I didn't, I would suffer eternal damnation. I followed all the rules. I followed my Catholic faith um, faithfully. But it wasn't until I became a wife and a mother and I began to try and pass my faith on to my children that I realized that everything I knew about Jesus was memorized doctrine. I can't even share with you how I was so wrote in my faith. And I was attending this, but I was not present. I was a good man, I was a good father, I was instilling the sacraments into my family. Uh, I was definitely not intentional, I was stuck broke in my faith. But what kind of strength did he have? Jackie did not just have a strength of body or baseball skill. He had a strength inside of his spirit, a courageous, meekness that empowered him to play the game. And I tell him what is going on with me and he's like, oh, okay. And I'm like, no, no, no. I think this is like some sort of miracle, dude. And he's like, oh, you know, of course, but I'll believe it when I see it. Honey, you've been trying to quit and you've been saying this and saying that. And I'm a, you know, he, his big line to me is you shouldn't say things <laughs> because I never followed through on them. And so this was, Week after week, month after month, he is looking at me like, this is a miracle. There is no way that you, on your own, could have done this. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 through 21, St. Paul compares the sacrifice of the Christians to the sacrifice of Israel and then to the sacrifice of the pagans. Paul calls the chalice the blood of Christ and the bread as participation in the body of Christ and then warns his listeners that you cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons at the same time. So in other words, you need to decide what are you going to participate in? Are you going to participate in the historic Christian idea of the altar of sacrifice, which is in the Eucharist or not? <laughs>